After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Please move it. Please move it. Please move it. I got to admit this. I made a mistake. I think I'm bang on this. I'm bang on. Okay, gentlemen, play ball. Watch it here. Good checking, guys. Good play. We have crossed into April, and normally this would be the final few days of the National Hockey League season. I guess it's kind of good news, bad news, Josh. We've got another month of regular season NHL action and the playoffs still to come. It's it's like reverse Groundhog Day. You know, we, we wake <laughs> up, we look out the window and see five more weeks of hockey. And generally, that's a pretty good thing as far as we're concerned. Although we did have kind of a busy week in terms of situations on the ice to deal with. Surprisingly, player safety has been busy. They could have been busier, but some paychecks are getting dinged this week. So, uh, you know, hopefully these guys can recover financially. We will find out which players are lighter in the pocketbook and address a few other items as well on this edition of the Scouting the Rest podcast. It is brought to you by Manscaped. Don't forget there are special savings when you use our free code. The code is REFS, R-E-F-S. That code gives you an additional 20% off and free shipping on your order. Now, hopefully you, Josh, as well as I have had a chance to, to really check out the, the Manscaped website and and look at some of the products and get even bigger discounts on below-the-waist grooming products that we have been enjoying for some time. You know, there are warmer temperatures coming outside. That means elevated temperatures in those confined areas. And if you keep the landscaping well-maintained, that adds to spring and summer comfort, especially important at this time of year, I would say. Definitely. You, you want the, the air to circulate. You want things to breathe. You don't want things to sweat too much. You don't want to chafe. So it's important. They've got the whole package there when it comes to cleaning things up. And then you've got your deodorant. You've got your, your toner to just mm -hmm. keep things under control and keep them comfortable, which, like you said, Todd, as, as temperatures warm up, it's even more important to keep things cool. Maybe the way to think of this is like your spring maintenance, as you would for your outdoors after a period of time. You know, there's a little debris and extra growth that you need to prune back to facilitate more bountiful blooms this year. There's <laughs> there's always that first pass with the lawnmower. Of course, you make sure that the blades are sharp. And of course, Manscaped has sharp blades, but also safe as well. The task light also helps you perform your tasks and get that smooth cut. The kind of cut that when you're done, you look over your work and smile with satisfaction, and others will too. I, I, I think you nailed it there, Todd. I think if you take care of your yard and everything's nice, well, then certainly your partner's going to want to spend more time hanging out in that yard with you. And, and you could spend a whole lot of time all summer long hanging out in that yard, provided you've done the spring cleaning and, and gotten things under control. Go to manscaped.com, use our code REFS for your order, receive 20% off plus free shipping. Make sure you are following us on our social channels. For Josh, it's at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on both Twitter and Instagram. And yes, we still accept emails. Your questions via email, heyref at scoutingtherefs.com. On this week's show, a little more follow-up on the Tim Peel saga, some questions and thoughts that have been expressed. If it looks like a slew foot and a player falls like it's a slew foot, why isn't it called a slew foot? You're allowed to lift your leg like a dog, but that's all. Keep your elbows down. Here's your bucket. 
And when does roughing turn into fighting? We got a lot of ground to cover, don't we? Wow, it's a, it's a lot and overlapping territory there. So we'll we'll check the boxes off and hopefully get a little smarter. Okay, a few quickies first. Connor McDavid with the high flying elbow on Kasperi Kotkaniemi of the Montreal Canadiens. It was a little nasty. It was a deliberate action. And what actually occurred was exactly what I was expecting. He got fined. There was no suspension. I don't think this is the worst flying elbow we have ever seen. So I don't know that it rose to the level of suspension, even though some conspiracy theorists believe it's because of who threw the elbow is the reason he wasn't suspended. Well, yeah, certainly it's it's a guy who takes a lot of abuse and draws a lot of penalties. So you get some more scrutiny when you're a superstar in the NHL. But no, I, I agree, Todd. This was not Randy Macho Man Savage with a flying elbow <laughs> drop off the top rope. As as much as I would have loved it to be, it it, it was not. And I agree with you. I'm, I'm not surprised that the fine that was issued, no suspension for it, because it, it was a high hit. It was a late hit. Uh, wasn't necessarily an elbow to the head. I think there was some head contact, but it really looked like that elbow comes up on the follow through. It was shoulder to shoulder. It was an ugly looking play, but one that didn't rise to the level to justify a suspension. And I don't think it's because Connor McDavid is a superstar. It's because of the hit itself. And, and that's one thing that player safety looks at is the actual incident. You know, is this a suspendable offense? And then once they've got that, they look at the player's history. They start to factor in all those things to figure out how long the suspension is. And for this hit, it was not suspendable. It fell just short. So there was still a fine. And I know $5,000 is not a significant impact to a guy like him. But it does establish that this is not a legal hit. It's as much as they can do from fining. And yeah, it just did not meet the requirements to justify a suspension. You can't do any more than give a guy the max fine, and that's collectively bargained as part of the CBA, so these are the rules. That's the maximum that they can find him. If you're looking for a more severe elbow, well, check out Chandler Stevenson. He got himself a hearing and is going to get more severe punishment for his flying elbow on LA Kings defenseman Tobias Bjornfoot. There was impact with the player, there was impact with the glass, there was injury. It also appeared to be kind of late, so that one does check a lot of boxes. It does. First, to me, the, the hit was high, so I figured that was, that was going to be a bad one. And it was very late. The puck was long gone, so player safety agrees. Yeah. They were reviewing the play for elbowing interference, which it's both. So this type of hit where you've got a guy clearly coming in to go headhunting with that shot is one that I, I think does deserve a game or two. Uh, you don't want to see a guy get injured on a play like this, but that's exactly what's going to happen when you go in and deliver that type of hit. Another player who got himself a fine, a lot of attention, and did spur a lot of discussion and conversation, especially on social media, was the, uh, <laughs> was the player who just gently tossed the helmet back to another. The, the Colorado Avalanche were steamrolling the Arizona Coyotes on Wednesday night. The Yotes Connor Garland and Nathan McKinnon came together along the boards. It was a lopsided score. There was only five minutes left in the game. So as you can imagine, things got a little testy, got a little grabby, got a little shove in the face, face washing and all the rest of it. And the two players went to the ice. As McKinnon went to the ice, he pulled Garland's helmet off his head. And when McKinnon stood up to continue the confrontation, he tossed it back to him. Now, 
I'm not going to say he threw his helmet at him the way some headlines have portrayed this. I mean, it was kind of a toss like you were playing catch with an eight-year-old, but it does warrant some attention and a fine, of course, for McKinnon. He also got tossed out of the game. I equated it to when you're you're playing a testy basketball game against some guys in the yard and uh, you check the ball back and forth and you throw it a little bit hard and a little bit high. And it's it's not going to hurt anybody, but it's it's definitely sending a message that you don't like the guy that you're playing against or you're trying to intimidate him. And that's all it was. It wasn't anything violent, but it still was a helmet toss. And we have precedent in the NHL for helmet tosses or other abuses of a player with their helmet when you had Chris Kreider fined for hitting Cody Eakin with a helmet. You had Mark Fistrick in Dallas back in 2010 for hitting Nystrom with his helmet. So we have precedent. Both those players were fined, no suspension. And I figured the same thing would happen in this case, which it did. It's a fine. It's it's something that the league's not going to stand for as far as unsportsmanlike conduct goes. But interesting to see McKinnon, you know, best his penalty minute totals from all of last season in one incident in the game and it wasn't his career high he's had 15 before when he had a fight so busy night for him as far as the penalty box goes and you know when you've got him in fantasy hockey this is not the column that you expect <laughs> him to contribute in but it happened and and just one thing of note there todd uh, the minor penalties that came which they did get matching minors for the roughing and mckinnon picked up that extra minor for removing the helmet under that change to rule 9.6 where a player who intentionally removes an opponent's helmet picks up a minor penalty for roughing so they did get him for uh for stripping the bucket and then they got him for returning it well yes if you if you take it you if you do borrow something from someone you should return <laughs> it don't you think I, I, that only makes sense yeah that was rather sportsmanlike okay yeah, all right. Right. <laughs> i also find it interesting that in this podcast we have both used the term testy the scouting the rest podcast is brought to you by manscaped <laughs> use our code refs and receive 20 percent off your order and get free shipping much to the dismay of the national hockey league the Tim Peel story has cooled down, but it has not completely disappeared from everyone's memory. There were a number of very good pieces and a lot of very good questions asked since Peel was excommunicated from the league. We don't, of course, have all the answers to specific questions and any indication that there will be further discussion or investigation and certainly nothing that makes us even dream that there could be positive changes as the result of this situation. And I find that unfortunate. Oh, by the way, just a quick interjection here. I got to give a shout out to the Inside the Truck podcast. If you haven't checked it out yet, their latest edition, they talk about the colossal avalanche of mistakes that had to take place for that audio to make it onto the broadcast. It's, it's worth your, your while if you're interested. To return to the Tim Peel situation, every crisis presents an opportunity, and I think if the league truly viewed what occurred with the hot mic mess as a crisis, then they could be doing more to help result in positive change. Cutting a guy who was supposed to retire in a month isn't really doing your job to help move that change forward, and that's the part I find most frustrating, Josh. Yeah, it is a tough spot to be in. I mean, certainly... You're taking away a lot from Tim Peel. You're ending his career on, on this note. You're taking away that that final game and that right off into the sunset kind of moment. But he had a handful of games left. So it was already somebody who was going out the door. And there's nothing meaningful that is coming out of that from the league. We don't see any changes to how they may be approaching officiating. Haven't heard any peeps or any buzz around looking at something different. And 
even the rule book is is not on the table right now for you know do we change things about how rules are written do we revise things to have the officials better able to call things with maybe less interpretation if we can clarify a couple rules because there there are some that are straightforward and there are plenty that could require a little rewording that might help fans, players, and officials connect the dots on what is and isn't a penalty. And I think it's it's those kinds of things that we've heard a lot of frustration with, that real change to acknowledge the way games are called or the way penalties are handled and and find something to fix rather than just scapegoating Tim Peel and saying, all right, we, you know, we've gotten rid of this official. Now we can go back to what we were doing. It doesn't really fix anything. I, I agree with you 100% in that. Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet in his 31 Thoughts blog also had some very good points, asked some very good questions. And unfortunately, though, I think this is what the league is hoping for, is that this issue will die and fade away now. And also, they were offered the opportunity, apparently, to comment on Saturday night during Hockey Night in Canada, which is the program that so many people tune into every week. And they passed on that opportunity saying they didn't want to take away from the game and the stars, according to Ron McLean. Oh, I will call BS on that one. I think that's abdicating your responsibility. And again, it's an opportunity to help move positive change. One of the, the biggest purposes of this podcast is to help educate, to help enlighten and, and shine some light on it. And I think they're abdicating their responsibility by not commenting further. Why wouldn't you want to comment and explain some things? And certainly you can be measured in your response and you might not want to answer every question that's on the table, but why not come out and, and provide some explanation, provide some guidance, provide some commentary rather than just radio silence throughout this whole thing? I, I think there's always been challenges for the officials or, or times when they're they're questioned for calls that are made and to have an opportunity for the league to respond to possibly the biggest officiating controversy that we've had in recent years and not take a chance to speak about it on Hockey Night in Canada, on that national broadcast, why wouldn't you want to? Why, why wouldn't you realize the benefits that you can have for the game, for the league, for even just getting that buy-in for officials, whether it's from the fans or even from coaches and management across the league to say, hey, you know what? These guys stood up. They provided an explanation. They gave us some information. They, they're, they're adopting this transparency idea. It would have been a great platform for them to do so, and it's, it's an opportunity lost. One of the debates, of course, is whether you call the rule book by the letter versus game management. And if you want to see a good example of what game management looked like, over the weekend, San Jose Sharks, Arizona Coyotes were playing. Curtis Gabriel, who we've discussed at length a few times already and is trying to make a name for himself in the league, Gabriel had a hit from behind on Johan Larson. It's definitely a penalty, but it was called a major penalty for interference and allowed the officials on the ice to take a look at it. Now, I watched this a bunch of times from a bunch of different angles, and this, to me, did not rise anywhere near the level of a hit that has been previously called a major penalty. Yet in this game, with 13 minutes remaining, and that's the key, Gabriel's major was upheld and he was ejected from the game. The rest of the story? The score was 2-0 for Arizona at that point, and the San Jose Sharks were not coming back, had showed little to no life. Referees Ian Walsh and Gord Dwyer removed the problem from the game. 
The only two penalties called after that were for puck over glass and an unsuccessful goal challenge. Both were automatic calls. <laughs> yeah, that's some playoff level officiating right there. You know, we shut things down and then the whistles go away and it puts more focus on those automatic penalties, which is certainly not the approach we want to see because certainly there were other infractions. But like you said, Todd, the, the big one, the, the big problem was out of the game. And when it comes to interference, th- this was a rough hit. It was open ice, a blindside check to a guy that didn't have the puck. So I, I see that it was definitely deserving of a penalty. And it's really up to the official's discretion on whether that's a minor or a major. It is purely their call. 56-4 says the referee at his discretion may assess a major penalty based on the degree of violence to a player guilty of interfering with an opponent. And then if there's injury on that, a mandatory game misconduct goes along with it. So this is one of those situations where it's a judgment call. We can say it It's up to the officials to decide. They determined it was a major. They reviewed it and reaffirmed that decision that it was a major. But was it the hit that caused that? Or like you said, was this really, hey, we're going to clean up the game by making sure he doesn't come back from this game? You know, if you give him a minor and he's back out on the ice in two minutes, what are we looking at there? Or are we doing this and tossing him? So that is definitely something that, you know, you look at the big picture of it and say, does this factor in? And we're hoping that from a management standpoint, you're assessing each call on the value of that hit and was the degree of violence such that if Curtis Gabriel delivers it with 13 minutes left and this means he's tossed, it gets the same call as, say, Connor McDavid delivering it in the first period. Mm, yeah, it's an interesting situation, isn't it? The way penalties are called. <sighs> um, another situation occurred this past week. Travis Konechny, in front of the net, engaged with Ranger forward Mika Zibanejad. He gives him a shove back while sliding his left foot forward, and Zibanejad winds up on his keister. This is called two minutes for roughing. No further action. And again, I'm puzzled by this. It's simple. This is a slew foot. Give him a game. This should be automatic. It absolutely should. And I'm a little disappointed, too, that player safety didn't come in after the fact to levy anything for that play, which was clearly a slew foot and and a motivated one, too. Right. We've seen what Zibanejad has done to the Flyers, and uh, certainly Mm -hmm. they would be doing everything they could to take him out of the game. And I'm not saying to injure him, but to to take him off his game by some physical play or maybe intimidate him a little bit. So that's what Connecting was trying to do. And he slew-footed him. I mean, you can you can go down the list. He used his leg or foot to kick the feet out. Check. He pushed the upper body backward with an arm or elbow. Check. And at the same time with the forward motion, knocked the feet out. Oh, yeah, this is a slew-foot. Rule 52 says it, but it doesn't get called as frequently as it should, and it doesn't get the attention of player safety. And, and maybe it's because it didn't rise to the level where a suspension was deserved, but... I think this is one of those cases where we at least need to get a fine. We mm-hmm. at least need to see a guy get dinged for it, that nominal $5,000 fine. But let's put it out there because this is a slew foot, and it, it was one that really escalated above roughing and should have been penalized appropriately. And remember, any player guilty of slew footing gets a match penalty. So they're tossed for the game. It's a five-minute power play. So is that punishment so severe that officials hesitate to make such a significant call that's going to see a guy get tossed and and they internally downgrade that to roughing. 
That's a valid question that the impact of a penalty, what factor does that have in an official's viewing the situation and how severely they want to penalize it? Let's let's also highlight some good work by NHL officials this week and a good example of what is and what isn't allowed in the rule book when it comes to deflecting the puck into the net with your skate. Games Winnipeg versus Calgary late in the first period, shot from the point heading towards the goal. Jets forward Nate Thompson lifts his leg, extends his foot, redirects the puck by goaltender Jacob Markstrom. It is ruled a good goal and reviewed by refs Eric Furlat and Michael Markovit, and the goal was confirmed. First off, huge props to the producer, the director, and the production crew working the TSN feed on that game because they did an unbelievable job rolling back all the replay angles in very quick succession. It was You were able to determine what the call should be. Um, they should all get jobs in the situation room, I think, because <laughs> it took a few minutes to confirm this one, but I think the right call was made on the ice. I agree. I think it was. Uh, certainly, you can't kick a puck in, but I think a lot of fans missed the change that went into the kicking rule a few seasons back because they, the NHL did make a minor change to Rule 49 for kicking. It used to be that you had to position your skate and the puck could deflect off your skate. If you turned your skate and you were in the act of stopping and the puck went in, that it would be a good goal. If you were turning your skate intentionally, the goals would be waved off. So that changed a few years ago and they increased the leeway for players to use their skates. So as long as you're not kicking to propel the puck into the net, you're not going to get classified as using a distinct kicking motion. And that's what we had here. So certainly Thompson lifted his leg up. I don't, I mean, just the skill of positioning your mm -hmm. foot to do that was pretty incredible, but he lifted his leg up intentionally. He positioned his skate and twisted his leg intentionally and he even changed the position of his leg it looked like he was stretching out right before the puck got there but his skate was in a spot where the puck deflected off of it and into the net he didn't kick to propel the puck in it was a, a well-timed deflection it was a, an amazing skill shot there but i can see people being frustrated that they saw his foot and his leg in motion as the puck went in but this is within the rules. This is legal. This is a play you're allowed to make where you can deflect the puck off your skate. You can move your leg and skate to make that happen. You just can't propel it in with your foot. Good work by everyone involved there to get a look at it, make the call on the ice, review it, and then confirm that call according to the rule book. Hey, the, the only person I want to bust on this one with everybody doing a good job on this play is Nick Ehlers, who spoke after the game about this goal and said, I'm not sure what exactly the rules are. I didn't think there was a kicking motion, but to be honest, I had no idea what was going to happen because I don't know the rules about skate goals. Come on. Oh, come on, man. Read the book. You, this, you, you deal with this every game. This is something you should know the rules for. I don't expect him to know the intricacies of every page of the rule book, but I think as a, as a National Hockey League player, you should at least know what is legal and not legal when it comes to pucks off your skin. And, and the on. guy who's supposed to score goals should probably right. know that too. <laughs> it, it does, though, raise the, the point of rules and interpretation of the rule. And my question is, when does roughing become fighting? And that sounds silly, but listen to me through on this one. In the Devils-Bruins game, Earlier this week, Brad Marchand lays a big hit on Dmitry Kulikov, or Kulikov, I believe, as Jack Edwards is now calling him. I think it was a questionable hit. He did seem to elevate himself a bit. His skates didn't appear to be in contact with the ice on impact. But following that hit, 
Marchand is confronted by Jesper Bratt with a stick whack and they glare at each other. The gloves come off, punches are thrown. Marchand does the bulldog takedown of Bratt with the body slam ending with a few other punches thrown. Both players are given two minutes for roughing. Now, again, this comes into a question of, is it game management? But tell me the rule. When does roughing become fighting? Because I would have called this fighting. I would have too. And the NHL rulebook would have agreed with you. And I quote, A fight shall be deemed to have occurred when at least one player punches or attempts to punch an opponent repeatedly, or when two players wrestle in such a manner to make it difficult for the linesman to intervene and separate the combatants. Tell me that did not <laughs> precisely happen on that play. <laughs> I, I, I think it's pretty clear. However, two minutes for roughing was the call for this situation. And again, this is what I think causes confusion amongst fans in terms of understanding the, the officiating of the game and how, it's, how it proceeds. It, it does. And there used to be a time when the line perceivably was if they drop the gloves or not. And if the gloves are on, they're jabbing at each other, you get a roughing call. And once the gloves come off, or once two guys square off against each other, you'd get a fighting call. And it seems that that has blurred over the years and become a bit more at the official's discretion to to judge where that line is. And, and I know they're matching penalties, so you don't have any loss of manpower on the ice. And the rulebook does say the officials get wide latitude with the penalties that they can impose under the fighting rule but when something is clearly a fight or a slew foot but when something <laughs> is clearly a fight why downgrade it and call it roughing why not call it what it is it's in the rule book these guys are punching each other they're not going to argue that it was a fight why not call it that way i think that's to me todd baffling that you wouldn't call what you saw Yes, a little blurred vision. Well, that's occurred from time to time, and it seemed to in this case. Hopefully, though, by discussing and highlighting these and other circumstances again this week, and as we look forward to the rest of the NHL season, will help put a, a fresh lens to help clear the vision on further circumstances. How does that sound? The Scouting the Rest podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with code REFS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code REFS. That's R-E-F-S. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. 